Hello, defenders. This is Andrew Harris. I'm here with Andrew Decker. You're listening to Andrew and Andrew on Texas Criminal Defense. Andrew, what's going on, man? Well, today we're lucky. We get to actually talk about the chicken killing case I mentioned in my interview, nice. uh, what, a month ago or so. Right. Um, and uh, we are we are blessed, lucky, surprised, gladdened, uh, all those things that the actual lead attorney on the chicken killing case, Allison Bador, is with us in the house today. Yeah. Say, say good morning, Allison. Good morning. Thanks good morning. for having me. All you right. bet. Welcome. Yeah, this is, I remember you telling me about this case, and it. this is one of those that just kind of like, I just kept asking you like, wait, is this real? Is this actually happening? Like, we'll get into it, but they actually did an autopsy on a chicken, right? It's called a necropsy. Oh, right? okay. <laughs> a necropsy on a chicken, which I think is just so ridiculous. So tell me about it, man. What? Tell me, uh, well, you know, well, how well, you get involved. Well, let's well, ask well, Allison. Let's ask Allison how it got started, because yeah. okay. I came in, I came in late. All right. Okay, so um, I had a client come in, and he uh, said he was facing two count, uh, two counts on a felony for animal cruelty to livestock. Um, and this client had no criminal history whatsoever, and he was actually called to testify <clears throat> in front of the grand jury. And uh, was that his choice? He he said he was formally invited. He was so no, it was not his choice. He was he was given a That's subpoena to show up. So oh really. So, some, so the DA's office like basically said, hey, we're presenting your case to the grand jury. You should come and talk to them. Was he informed of his right to an attorney in that instance? Yeah, so that later on we get into, into that question, and he was. He was informed. Um, uh, they followed the Code of Criminal Procedure that the grand jury questioning of the accused shall be reported uh, that... Um, the defendant can petition the court for uh, an order to disclose the information based on a particularized need. Um, uh, and then there's actually a rule for like how a suspect or an accused is questioned. And they, they followed it. Okay. Um, but, but it's in- interesting that, well, again, it's very rare that the yeah. accused ends up in front of a grand jury. Yeah. So, Allison, so he calls you after he's going into, gone already gone into the grand jury? Okay. Yes. All right. And I'm sure, um, you know, for someone who's never been in any criminal trouble, I think he thought he was just going to go and explain his side and things were going to work itself out. And it just didn't work out that way for him. So, um, so when he came to me, he basically told me he had been in a long time dispute with his neighbor, uh, who was right behind him. And this neighbor has, uh, a significant amount of livestock, including birds. He has chickens and he's in a foul industry but <laughs> okay all right all right uh chickens <laughs> guinea hens peacocks um and there were a few other ones I, I know that we drove by and those are the only ones i can remember off the top of my head but uh it was definitely more animals uh per an acre than than those animals could afford to you know survive on without looking to other pieces of property for um insects and things like that to to eat. So. Was was the neighbor because of that? I mean, I know there's like not not strict rules, but there's definitely guidelines in the uh in, in the industry in the ranching industry and farming industry about like what, you know, what um how many livestock your particular piece of land or property can maintain? Was he ever looked at for animal cruelty for just stuffing his, overstuffing his land? 
No, he wasn't. And I think that that would go back to probably one or two things. One is, was there something in the deed restrictions? Um, this was kind of out in a rural area, so probably not any deed restriction. Right. And then you'd look at a city ordinance. And again, this was, I mean, this is not yeah. in close near to a, a big town. And so it's likely that there wasn't an ordinance that would have prevented him from having this right. many. Yeah, numbers, it was not, so. in, not in an, an incorporated yeah. township. So right. It was in a town you can find on the map, but so maybe not a good idea, but there's nothing like illegal about, you know, he's not in violation of any ordinance or like you said, deed restriction or anything like that. Okay. Right. So because uh, these birds needed to find more food and, and basically had picked this property so clean that grass couldn't grow on it, they would go to um, the client's beautiful side of the property. Um, looking for bugs and things like that to eat and to pick through the grass to find any food that they could find. Um, this particular client is, uh, he's just someone who wants to help. And so he tried to go to his neighbor, tried to work things out, and it just, just wasn't working out. <clears throat> and and the, the interesting part that I thought was um, this client has uh, an affinity for land turtles hmm. uh, and has a land turtle habitat on his property. What is, what is that? Land turtle? Is that what you're saying? Land turtle, yes. Okay. Uh, land Just turtles. a regular turtle? Or? As opposed to the air turtles we're all commonly familiar <laughs> with. I'm, like, I'm, I'm assuming more turtles that live near big bodies of water. water? Okay. Um, and so he and his daughter had <laughs> created, and I, I know, it's one of those ones where you're like, this can't possibly be yeah. real. But this case back. is just so great. It's so great. Anyways, keep going. So he had created a habitat so that the turtles could come, uh, lay, you know, lay their eggs and they could raise them on the property. Uh, apparently, there's not a lot of areas for land turtles to do this, and so he had put one on his property. So. Right. Well, basically, their their habitat's endangered. So, so we have somebody who who is worried about a, 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 a not an endangered species, but a species that's losing habitat as Texas grows. Um, and literally his daughter took a wounded male and a wounded female, nursed them back to health enough that they couldn't survive in the wild, but they could breed. Huh. And so they had a breeding pair there on their property that they kept, and then they would release the babies once they had reached a point of being able to, to kind of leave the, the hatch. Yeah. And so, you know, they're yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, that's great. They're trying to do good things. Okay, so somehow the birds start interfering. Right. So the birds start coming over, and uh, baby turtles look very delicious to chickens and guinea birds. And so they were attacking these poor, defenseless baby turtles and killing them. And oh. um, obviously that was an issue for the clients. Um, so he attempted to address it with his neighbor, but uh, these people had a, a long history of uh, the neighbor calling the cops over other disputes, and so they just couldn't work anything out over the years. Mm. So after a while, our client decided uh, to defend his property and defend the very helpless baby turtles, and he shot a chicken. And, okay. Yes. And Seems like there's a lot more information there. Like what, <laughs> like, like using what? He used uh, a, a small rifle. That right, a, a 17, which is a little smaller than a 22. It's a very small but very high-velocity uh, projectile. Uh, I mean, are we talking like, you know, is this uh, use a CO2 cartridge? I mean, is this No, like... it's an actual rifle. Okay. It, it's a, it's a centerfire rifle, just okay. like a 22. Right. Uh, but it is narrowed down just that much more. Right, right. So those of you who know anything about rifling, you know, like a 30-06 is uh, basically a 
06 um, inches, and then like a 270 is a 0.270 inches, and then a 22 is a 0.22 inches, and this would be a 17, a 0.17 inches uh, projectile. So smaller caliber, pretty pretty uh, small caliber rifle. Right. Yeah, okay. very small caliber rifle, yeah. high velocity. All right. So he shot the first animal, um, I believe the cops were called, nothing ever came of it, and then about uh, a year later, he shot another bird, this time I believe the second one was a guinea bird, um, and he shot it with an airsoft BB gun, okay. um, again doing the same thing, trying to protect his property, and again the cops were called, and uh, those two incidents led to two felony counts of animal cruelty to livestock. So, Well, one's... One livestock, one non-livestock, because a guinea hen's not a livestock animal. Huh. Right. So, uh, okay, so about that, the code, I imagine, is very clear as to what is livestock and what's not. Is that right? I mean, it, it lists out. It has, like, a, a laundry list of, of animals uh, on there. Is that right? I, I, actually, on that one, I'm not sure, but I know a guinea hen is not livestock animal. It's not a normally bought, sold. It's not USDA. It's not... Um, okay. They're 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 not a normal livestock animal. Right. So, you know the difference between, um, well, a, a as we come into hunting season, a a white-tailed deer and a steer. A steer is a bovine. It is a livestock animal. Mm-hmm. Belongs to whoever owns it. Uh, where a deer is non-livestock. It actually belongs to the state of Texas. Guinea hen you can own, but anyway, it's not a livestock animal. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's not, I mean, it, this is just, just because you own something, it may not be livestock. You may call it livestock, but under the eyes of the law, it may right, not like my necessarily dog. be. My dog is a non-livestock animal. Right. right. Oh, that makes sense. Okay. All right. Well, let's move on. <laughs> so, okay. So two, um, this case is amazing. Two <laughs> dead birds, uh, one killed with a, a, uh, a rifle, one killed with an air rifle. Cops get called. At what point? I mean, I guess after the second call, um, he starts. He starts. Um, somebody starts an investigation on animal cruelty against against your client. So, who makes the decision to send one of these birds to what a medical examiner? Where, where's the ne- ne- necro- necropsy? So a veterinarian actually performed the necropsy, uh, which was included in, in some of the evidence that we were given because they wanted restitution for uh, paying the veterinarian to do said necropsy. Like $163 for the vet to say in a paragraph, uh, it appears that a high-velocity pellet entered uh, the bird on the lower right hip and then went through the torso, and the same pellet is found in the skin of the upper left breast, and I was able to retrieve said pellet. (laughs) And that's like the report. That's it. And then, and then he, and then he, what quartered the bird and grilled it up for for everybody. I mean, like that just does this seem like just not the most ridiculous thing, um, on on a criminal case? Absolutely, um, you know. And I asked the clients, you know, some questions to trying to get an idea of, you know, was he particularly rude to the law enforcement officers? Was there some other day of criminal history, something else that would lead to them being more interested in the case? <clears throat> and the only thing that seemed evident was it from what I could tell was that the neighbor's spouse was related to someone in law enforcement. While we can't prove that that had anything to do with it, it seemed like the only logical reason that they would pursue it 
um, out in a small place like this where, you know. Where, where that kind of thing happens, unfortunately, Absolutely. right? Like personal relationships come into play when you're talking about very small towns, very small counties. Okay, so um, so charges are, are pressed against him. He goes in and testifies to a grand jury, um, comes and talks to you about it, and then generally just kind of what happens next. Well, we waived arraignment, and then we went to our first setting, and the only offer we were given was uh, a couple years of felony probation. Um, uh, later on, I think he was offered deferred, but not initially, with a you know relatively hefty fine and things like that. So, so, so we're talking uh, the difference between straight probation and deferred. He was initially offered a term of probation, which is like supervision, right? Um, but he would have a conviction on his record for two felonies from the day that he started his probation, right? Correct. For a man that has no criminal history that's at least attempting to do uh, some good by, by some poor animal that's you know, living on his property. Correct. Right. Oh my gosh. And, and, and so then it does, even before I came in, it's changed to a five-year deferred offer. Um, and uh, our, our client basically looks at Allison and I as we try to one more time say, hey, we, you have to know it's a deferred, it's five years of probation, but at the end you don't have a conviction on your record. And he, he literally says to me, this is the first time I've met him, um, he says, I'm not doing any form of probation for defending my property. Right. Yeah. And good on him, man. Right. <laughs> I, I believe mine, if I remember correctly, he said the only counter we could present was a dismissal with an apology letter. And I told him that we could present that, but that would never happen. So, um, but well, he got close. He, he did. He got close. He didn't get the apology letter, but I don't yeah. think that's coming. So. We'll get to that. That's a, I mean, you guys got a great result. So, Andrew, you, you come in. I guess Allison reaches out to you. Actually, I reached out to Allison. You reached out to Allison, because, okay? Because because a, a paralegal uh, that we both use um, happens to mention it to me, and I don't really know Allison that well at that point. I knew who she was. I've met her, and I was like, "I this want, case is too good. This yeah. is too good. I <laughs> want to do the Boyd Dyer on this uh, because people see me as a Fort Worth attorney, and a, a, you know, I went to high school in Arlington. But as we've talked about previously. Uh, I come. I come from small towns in West Texas. Yeah. I like my dog. I like to hunt. Okay. I like my cows. You know. <laughs> See what you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, I know. I know. So, so it, it's automatically. I'm like, I'm like, yes, chicken killing, ladies and gentlemen. If you had a fox come in your hen house, what would you do? And they'd be like, I'll let you. You know. So, so I mean, right. I, I, I've got this boy diary in my head, and I'm like, I come to Allison and go, please let me sit on this case, please, and. Truly, I'm just begging up somebody who's not even a friend at that point. Kind of how we became friends. We were working on this case. You know, and and I, you know, Allison, just to jump in, when somebody approaches me like I want to help you on this, I'm usually like, oh, fantastic, great. Uh, you know, like I, I openly welcome that kind of uh, that kind of assistance. Is that kind of how you were feeling? I mean, I know it's Andrew asking, so, but no, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, I do, I do. And, you know, I mean, I've definitely asked for help from co-counsel on different things. And, um, and you know, I do a little bit of civil, and it seems yep. that it's especially more popular in that area to bring on a co-counsel. Uh, and we knew at the time that the client was not going to settle for anything, and so it needed to be geared up for trial anyways. So right. it just made sense to have somebody else help me. Uh, take care of the case. So. Well, and that, I mean, even in, I know you do a lot of civil stuff, but it, like even strictly criminal attorneys, um, 
you know, it's always been said, like, don't go to trial alone. Always have a second chair. And so I think it's great that, that you had somebody jump on early on in the process that can actually, like, sink their, help you, you know, sink their teeth into the case and kind of help you, uh, you know, carry some of the, carry some of the load on this. Um, I always try cases with a second chair, and I, and I try to get that person in as early as possible if I know the case is actually going to go to trial. So, Andrew, you come in. Um, Allison graciously accepts uh, your offer of, of or assistance. Or maybe reluctantly. Reluctantly, maybe. Let's be honest. probably reluctantly. So, um, so tell me what, uh, you know, what you thought of the case initially. So, so my, my first thing I, I do, and I'm kind of a geek, is I literally pulled up because we, we have a felony, but we end up crossing into various levels of code, right? right? Because animal cruelty doesn't just sit in the penal code. So I start in the penal code, um, uh, section 4209 of the Texas Penal Code gives us uh, cruelty to uh, animals, Yeah. right? And so if an animal is killed, they have to prove, according to this, that uh, that the animal died in a cruel or unusual fat or unusually inhumane fashion. Okay. And so, so I, I've joked with my friends, you know. So literally in Boydire, I get to ask. So, ladies and gentlemen, what are the ways you can kill a chicken? Yep. You know, and and so uh, obviously people have said wring its neck. What what's another way you can kill a chicken? Uh, chop off its head. Chop off its head. Allison? Shoot it. Shoot it, right? <laughs> right? Well, the joke is obviously I'm going to keep asking until someone says that they could... Choke it. Choke it, right? And so, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> uh, I was... I, I literally had bets from people, other defense attorneys in our, in, our, in, our, in our great state that I could get someone to say, yes, you can choke your chicken. Um, <laughs> it would have happened. It would have happened. It would have happened. I, I, I would have happened. And that um, court reporter had to sit there with a straight face, just taking every word down. Every word in, right. <laughs> um, but, you know, wh which one of those fashions would be unusually cruel or inhumane? I mean, literally show, watch how Tyson kills their chickens. Oh, man, yeah. And, and you would go, there's nothing that we do that's inhumane to a chicken. Right. 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 So that's problem number one. Um, and, and then... Uh, we end up getting over into the Texas Parks and Wildlife Code because there's a defense mm -hmm. to animal cruelty, and that is, and it's in, it's in, it's in our penal code, that there is depredation. You're preventing depredation. What's that mean? Well, depredation is defined in the Texas Park and Wildlife Code 71.001. 10, depredation means the loss or damage of agricultural crops, livestock, poultry, wildlife, or personal property. Okay. So the baby turtles, maybe. But even the, the, the neighbor's lawn isn't a lawn. It is, it is a lunar landscape. It's it has been picked so clean. Rock. <laughs> so if these birds are jumping the fence and tearing up our client St. Augustine, yeah. that would be damaging personal property. Right. So there's a defense. First of all, they the state would have to prove that the animals were killed in an unusually cruel or inhumane fashion. One. Right. And two, we have a defense of depredation. So automatically, I'm excited. I've got I've got something they've got a high burden right. and I've got we've got a defense. Yeah. Like, Allison, this is it just gets better. You know, because I've already got a I've already got, you know, this kind of 
wink, wink, nudge, nudge joke. Yeah. And I get to talk about how do you keep animals off your property that aren't yours. Right. My dad uh, was a Methodist preacher, and literally in a small town we lived in, the, the, city, the city police officer said, get a BB gun and shoot those cats. Mm-hmm. They'll stop coming and peeing in your yard. So I knew somebody would say something similar to that. You put 60 people in a room, someone's going to... For sure. Right? So I'm excited about it, and all these things I'm coming with Allison. I'm like, oh, Allison, I got this. But it gets better. It does get better. So then Andrew and I talk to the client a lot about what he, you know, testified to in the grand jury um, hearings, and it became clear to Andrew and I that we really needed to see a transcript of what the client actually said and what he was told by the prosecutors, because there were some interesting things in there that may or may not should have been said. And so um, Andrew drafted and and filed a uh, motion showing that there was a particularized deed. That is a hard word. Particularized need. To see that testimony, and the judge granted it and gave us um, just the portion of of that hearing on which our client testified. And to be clear, we're not going to get into that, right? I mean, why not? We can't really talk about the grand jury testimony even after we received it because grand juries uh, are closed. Right. Um, uh, and, and their deliberations, even the DA can't be in. And so so if we even filed a motion later that if we had to discuss the grand jury testimony in front of the judge, that he would get an in-camera review versus us talking about it literally on a recorded record. Right. Um, but part of the problem was is that of the two counts, one count we had no evidence. The uh-huh. other count we did, and we asked the DA, we said, hey, we think we're missing something. The DA said, well, it all came out in, in questioning. We're like, what questioning? And she meant the grand jury testimony. So we had a particularized need that at least one of the counts wasn't present until grand jury, and that may be the only evidence the state has. Yeah. So we had that. That is a particularized need yeah. as to why we should have that information. So, so um, you know, typically even DAs aren't allowed in during, I mean, during grand jury deliberation. But in this instance, if, so, if a defendant's going to be testifying, then that is recorded, right? Right, right. But that's not deliberation. That's present, That's a DA presenting a case. Right. So, but it is, it is recorded, which is why you were able to retrieve that. Right. testimony, and then the DA was there asking your client questions. The, yeah, DA and assistant DA. So, okay. so it totaled out to be over 65 pages of grand jury testimony. Right. So it, it, it was a pretty lengthy uh, ordeal. Um, but we found out, and ironically, once we asked for that and we were given the grand jury testimony, suddenly evidence on the first count that we didn't have was found, which also... It's a little problematic. Right. Yeah, I imagine. Okay, so uh, you file your motion, show a partic- particularized need, and judge grants it. You get the evidence. What? Tell me what happens next. Yeah, Allison, you want to? Well, yeah, no, we can talk about it. Uh, we filed a motion to quash the indictment based on what we found in the grand jury testimony. Okay. Right. And, I mean, I know, like, we're – I don't want to get into – you know, what was said and the, I guess, word for word from, from what you learned from the grand jury testimony, but like, what, what's the motion to quash about? Okay. So a motion to quash is basically, uh, it, 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 and and some people, especially if they're not familiar with the law, think it's a motion to squash 
Mm-hmm. Squash is a vegetable. Yeah. Um, but literally, you, you, we are quashing, and quashing is to is to suppress, to to beat down. Or if you're from Texas, you're squashing that bug. We're squashing that indictment. Right. Um, squash without the s. Right. It's squash without the s. It's squash. <laughs> um, uh, but but even without going to grand jury, part of what came out was uh, that at least one of the officers who came out talked about open range law. Right. Yeah. And. And it just got better for me. I'm like, oh. So now we have, now we're getting outside even the Texas Parks and Wildlife Code. We're getting into open range. Right, open issues. range, which is tax, Texas Agricultural Code. So, so far we've had a defense of property. We've had the tech, we, now we've had uh, the penal code, uh, Texas Park and Wildlife Code, and now the Texas Agricultural Code. And again, I have family that's run cattle in West Texas, and I right. lived out there. So as soon as this hit open range law, I was like, well, I know that applies to cattle yeah. and sheep and goats. So then I find a handy-dandy pamphlet produced by, in part, a Texas A&M law student. Gig'em. Yeah, well, um, uh, uh, called The Five Strands. And it's a pamphlet on fencing laws okay. and the open range law. And it's part of how I found it in the Texas Agricultural Code. But, but here's the interesting part. So the open range became the law of the land for the state of Texas in a, in a case in 1893. All and right. it says, literally, it is the right of every landowner of domestic animals of this state to allow them to run large. Basically, they get to run free. Man. <sighs> yeah. Um, but, but, then, but then, as we became more, a little more civilized, yeah. uh, now most counties have elected that it's a closed range, so you have to build a fence to keep your animals in. But prior to that, or if your county hasn't had an election, you have to build a fence only to keep an animal out. Right. Okay, great. But again, I think it's about cattle and goats and sheep. Well, believe it or not, it actually, like, go ahead, Allison. Oh, no, I was just going to say, it, it is. And, and if I'm correct, the open range law says, you know, at least, I think about a four-foot fence is the requirement. And a, clearly a four-foot fence wouldn't keep a chicken or a guinea bird out, out right. at all. Um, so that was really interesting. And in fact, our client had... Uh, I believe an eight or nine foot tall fence already, and that wasn't keeping them out. So when you know when we read the law, it definitely was interesting that uh, you know that he had a fence that was double that height, and it still wasn't keeping these birds out. So right. So um, uh, and not. I mean, it sounds like it sounds like your client is doing like has done everything that he can. To keep these birds off of his property, right? Like built the fence. He's talked to the neighbor. And, I mean, what? Where's the notion of like personal responsibility in this well, case? Like, did the did, DAs not look at this and say, "Why the heck?" I mean, this guy has noticed that he shouldn't. That he should be restricting his birds in some way. Like, come on, to, man. To be, to be fair, I think the nine foot fence is actually built by the neighbor. Okay. Birds, you know. Yeah. M- most people don't know this. Chickens can fly. Right. Turkeys can fly. Guinea hens can fly, and and really they, they fly, ten to fifteen feet up and roost or land on something and then move over. But a nine foot fence is yeah. not enough, right? Okay. And and this is what I was I was looking for. Uh, the that Texas Agricultural Code chapter one forty three actually lists that that four foot fence has to be sufficient to keep out an animal roaming at large that is 
a cattle, horse, mule, jack, jennet, sheep, goat. Hmm. Okay. Did, did you hear any birds on that list, Mr. Eric? No, but I don't really know what a jennet is, so unless well, that's it's a the bird. Female, it's the female of a jack. Okay. All right. Well, oh, okay. No, I'm, I'm, I'm picking it up. All right. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. Okay. <laughs> so it's a donkey. Like a jack, jack. and a jenny, yeah. Right. A yeah, jack yeah. Is, is the male, and a jennet, or a jenny, is the female okay. uh, of, the, of the donkey. So no, no birds on no that birds. list. Right. Right. So open range law... They're saying it applies. It doesn't. Right. Like, like okay. one of the deputies told the guy, hey, you know, uh, you know, we're an open range law area. Well, that also doesn't apply. Yeah. And, and so really there's just so little to actually hold this thing together that we filed a motion to quash. And, you know, let me go back to Austin. I get all excited about the law. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> well, I just, you know, uh, Andrew and I just thought it was, it was hugely misleading, um, you know, reading what the prosecutor said. Um, if I were listening to it and I had been a grand juror, I would have thought that it applied to this client's case. Right. And because of that, I would potentially indict him. So um, it should have never been mentioned in the first place. If it hadn't been mentioned, he may have never been indicted, which is why the motion to quash was filed, because uh, we believe that the grand jurors were hugely misled by, you know, misstatement of law that absolutely didn't apply to the case at all. So. Right on. No, yeah. So it turns out, you know, that it was a good thing that your client testified to a grand jury. I mean, at least it was recorded. Yeah, I mean, they, they got they got <laughs> they got all the evidence for the second case right from the grand jury testimony. But in the end, it it worked out for them, right? And you would never have had this amazing motion to quash. Yeah, if, it, yeah. We, we, it, tr- truly, truly, having the the grand jury testimony was was a little bit of a coup in and of itself. Um, but it did allow us to file the motion to quash, and uh, that was to be heard um, in September, just a you know few weeks ago. Um, and Alice and I were, were literally talking on the phone about, hey, we need to head out there. You know, do we want to grab lunch before we go? Yeah. So uh, I want to say it was about ten in the morning. Our our case was set at one, and so. Um, and this place is a, it's a little bit of a drive from our office. It's not horribly far, but it's about 45 minutes or so. And so Andrew and I were talking about getting together and going to lunch just to kind of cover everything on the motion right beforehand, make sure we understood everything we needed to cover. And as we were talking, uh, Andrew was like, Hey, are you, are you checking your email right now? I was like, no, I'm really not. And then I pulled up and here it is. The, uh, ADA had sent us a motion and a signed order to dismiss the case in the interest of justice and not a phone call or anything. I guess luckily we checked our emails before we left for <laughs> that day. Um, and so that was the only communication we got about it. So, uh, and of course we're happy that it got dismissed, but nice to have gotten a phone call, but that's okay. Right. Right. Yeah. I'll take, I'll take the dismissal. I mean, and uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, I, that's just such, such a, it's great for your client and, and I'm very happy. But man, I, I really wanted you guys to have that hearing. But, uh, I, I wanted to have the hearing. I wanted to try the case. But yeah. every time you look at it and you go, if if we would have had the hearing and lost, if we would have gone to trial, yeah, I know the three of us have talked about this uh, individually and collectively. You never know what right uh, what twelve people in jury box are going to do. Yeah, I mean, we, we've all we've we've all tried cases together. And said, you know, I think it's going to go this way. And sometimes we're right. But there have been a few times where 
even even the prosecutor has agreed with us on the way we think it's going to go, and the jury come back with something different. Yeah, so. yeah, no, and that's that's um, that's so true. I mean, that that was just a, a selfish reaction on my part. I mean, I know like that obviously your client is best served by a dismissal, and everybody just kind of going, um, you know, going about their lives. And now, you know, with the dismissal. Uh, he can get this expunged. I imagine he was arrested and had to post a bond and all that. Yes, absolutely. I think he was one of the lucky few that didn't have any bond conditions. Oh, um, I think we thought at one setting the judge was going to set him, but luckily we didn't get any. So he did, at least he didn't have to pay bond supervision. Um, but once his time runs up on the expunction, yeah, that's the plan to file it. So um, Fantastic. No, that's great. That's a great resolution. Just goes to show you uh, the importance of filing pretrial motions. Uh, which I think is going to be another topic uh, on, our, on our podcast coming up. Right, Andrew? Yes, it is. I think we, that's going to be coming up uh, either before the end of the year or right into the first of the new year. Is this, right. uh, we're at November 15th at this point. So, so just you asked what a livestock animal meant earlier. Yeah. And, you know, thanks to, thanks to the glories of the Internet. Uh, according to, let's go back to our, to our famous penal code, uh, penal code, uh, Texas 4902 cruelty to livestock to animals 4209 or 4902 what is that sorry 4209 4209 I, I, I am slightly dyslexic that's sorry cool that. um uh, see, I didn't know what a genet was so well yeah so you, these are my confusion too livestock animal according to the penal code means cattle sheep swine goat ratatis I don't know what that is okay uh, poultry commonly used for human consumption that's why the guinea hen is not a livestock animal. It's not normally raised for, for human consumption. consumption. Okay. Uh, a horse, pony, mule, donkey, or hinny. Uh, so, so a, you know, sure. Native or non-native hoofstock raised under agricultural practices. Native or non-native fowl commonly raised under ag- agricultural practices. So we might have been able to argue that even the uh, um, guinea was a fowl under that. Subsection right, or not? Right, but but I think I think actually wanted to be a non-livestock. It's, yeah, it's less um, right uh, problematic. But that but that gives there is actually defined in the penal code what a livestock animal is. And fantastic, um, penal code holds all the answers, right? Unless uh, it's found in the agricultural code, the Texas Park and Wildlife Code, government code, the government or code, whatever, Texas Health Code. Yeah, you know, right. Uh, and that that's like, you know, what I find most interesting is just the interplay between all these codes. Because um, obviously, even the state had issues uh, with with all of those codes in one case. So right. it, it's, it's nice to be able to really delve deep into the weeds on that sometimes. So, Allison, uh, real quick before we go, tell us uh, tell us where your, your practice is located. Oh, okay. So um, I'm a sole practitioner. I have a law office in Weatherford, Texas, not too far off the square, um, off South Main, and uh, I handle Parker. I handle other, you know, counties, but Parker, Palo Pinto, um, you know, Tarrant, Hood-wise, just depending on the type of case. But the majority of my cases are out of Parker County. And and you you kind of mentioned it earlier. You don't just do criminal law. You do uh, family, civil. I do. I do family and civil. I do a little bit of uh, federal civil litigation as well. Um, I've been doing employment discrimination, and I have done wrongful foreclosure cases for the last probably five years or so. Um, so those are kind of the, you know, have taken me out a little bit further because I've done the Eastern District and the Northern District on those. So 
So some, one of our listeners had uh, some questions for you. What's the best way they can get a hold of you? Um, I would say just call the office. Uh, I do have a, a website as well. It's www.allisonbedore.com. Um, or you can call my office at 817-599-5588 and just schedule a free consultation. Yeah, we wouldn't ask for your personal cell or anything like that. But office <laughs> office number is great. Um, obviously, the website, you know, go there, and I imagine probably can reach you uh, through your website. Yes, too you can well, send right? a you can send a message through there, and it comes into the email. So that's great. That's awesome. great. Thanks, Allison, for coming and joining us. It it, it was a fun case. Um, our 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 client actually got excited because we kind of got in a yelling match with the DA, um, which is not. Not uncommon in that county. Yes, but I would say it's uncommon in general. <laughs> it is, right. Right. That, yeah. That's that, a fun experience. My in gosh. Itself, you know? Uh, Allison literally told me to leave the courtroom. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. I was that, like, you need to wait in the wings somewhere. Just stay out of sight for a little while. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes you got to do that, but. The client, appre- I mean, the client thought it was great. Yeah. So. Um, <laughs> I'm just not sure that it goes with courtroom decorum, but, you know, when people are being unreasonable, sometimes you just reach your breaking point, and Andrew had just reached his breaking point. Yeah. So. No, that's great. And you know what? Not for nothing, but, like, I love this job because I really don't like bullies. And prosecutors sometimes just really want to bully us, our clients, the judge. uh, And and you just got to put your foot down sometimes. So good on you, Andrew. Well. It, it was fun, and I'm, I'm thrilled that Allison let me come and help her out. Yeah, and great job on the dismissal, guys. I know your client is very appreciative of that, um, and it really sounds like justice was done in this case. It's in life in general. And you said it's okay to cuss, right? So sure. Okay. Um, you know, I actually got this from my office mate who um, is a lawyer. Um, he's been practicing for 20-plus years, and he said to me in my practice just to know that it's it's – it can be too early to be an asshole, but it's never too late. Um, and I think it's just a great piece of advice because that's funny. <laughs> you know, sometimes if you if you uh, you know if you're too aggressive too early on, you uh, potentially do your client a lot of harm. And so, an attempt to try to resolve things first is always best um, because you can always come up later and actually uh, buck up and, and be a little right. more aggressive. So, which is kind of what we just talked about in the chicken killing case. Yeah, I started off as a nice guy. Yeah, yeah, very true. Very true. Yeah, you can always turn that aggression meter up. It's kind of hard to back off once you've uh, come in, you know, swing in initially. Right. Um, so so what, what, what's, a, what's a book that your favorite book or a book you've read recently you'd like to share with the audience? Um, I'm a huge Harry Potter fan, so um, I've read all of the Harry Potter books multiple times, and I really look forward to the day when I can read them with my kids. So that's definitely my favorite series. Even as adults, I love it, so... Cool. Yes, Good for you. That works. Uh, favorite band? I love Tim McGraw. He's not a band, but uh, I just think he's, he's a musical artist. Musical artist. Yeah, yeah, that works. He's just wonderful. So Great. Does your husband know? Does my husband know? That, that you're that in love, love with Tim McGraw? He does. Okay. All right. He does. He's, he's okay, okay with it. it. Yeah. yeah, he's fine. Right. I don't think he's going to divorce Faith Hill anytime soon, so I think you know, my husband feels... Yeah, yeah, he's still yeah, with him. So. <laughs> that's, probably, that's probably a good call. And, you know, and remember, it's never too late to be an asshole. Yeah, right. Okay. I don't know why you're looking at me uh, when you said that. Okay. Um, so uh, uh, you practice in, you know, uh, various counties in North Texas. If somebody's looking for representation, where's the best way to uh, to get a hold of you? I'd go to my website, uh, com, and you have my phone number, and you can send me an email. 
um, or if you have any questions, you can get a hold of me through there. So That's great. That's great. AllisonBedore.com. And for Andrew Decker. And I'm, for Andrew Harris. There you go. <laughs> um, this has been Andrew and Andrew on Texas Criminal Defense. Y'all, thank you so much for listening. Please, uh, on whatever app you're using to listen to this podcast, do us a favor. Um, give us a review. Hopefully it's a five-star review. If not, go to texascrimdefense.com. Send us a note. You can contact either Andrew Decker or myself, Andrew Harris, directly on the website. Tell us your opinion. If you need some help with a criminal case, please reach out. And uh, Or if you have some opinions or would like to, us to talk about a certain topic, please send us a note there, texascrimdefense.com. You've been listening to Andrew and Andrew on the Texas Criminal Defense Podcast.